All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Mainline Podcast. It is a post-game episode of the podcast as the Oklahoma Sooners drop their second second straight game in, in as many weeks, falling to the Iowa State Cyclones 37-30 to uh, last night up in Ames, Iowa, uh, a game in which Adam um, – Honestly, I, I don't even know how or, or what the proper word to describe what I saw was, you know, shocking, embarrassing, pathetic, lackadaisical at some point, just just an all around, just a, a crazy, crazy game. And um, and again, we want to welcome Adam Jacquez, my co-host to the podcast. And Adam, just kind of, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, just your initial thoughts after uh, seeing OU drop their second game in, uh, in the past two weeks. Yeah, it was it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, it feels disgusting. Like I've got something on me that I just can't get off. Um, and it's it it was so incredibly mind boggling just to watch that happen. And it certainly felt worse. It felt way worse than than the Kansas State loss, mainly because it was the entire game. Um, you know, OU stuck stuck really well and was. I wouldn't call it dominating, but they were somewhat controlling the first half and the way, the way the first half ended and then knowing that Iowa state got the ball in the second half, it just was like nervousness the entire way from there. Well, and I mean, OU controlled the game, you know, they, they came out, they played well. Um, you know, you obviously the, the big pass from, from Rattler down to Charleston Rambo in the first possession, setting up a first and goal inside the five, um, you know, in a situation like that, you, you can't settle for a field goal. You're on the road. Field goals are going to get you beat, especially playing, uh, even when it is a, uh, a minimum capacity. But field goals are going to get you beat. But it, it was a good start. Uh, obviously, they, they raced out to a 17-6 to lead. And um, after, you know, OU went up by 11, the d- defense went out, got a punt, and really gave Lincoln Riley the, and his offense the ability to – you know, kind of, you know, keep the foot on the gas, put the game away, uh, up 17 to six. And at that point, again, drives kind of stalled out penalties, uh, coming from the offensive line. And, and it just seemed like, OU never was truly able to, you know, put the final nail in the coffin and letting Iowa state back in the game. And it was just, you know, I, I don't even know where we want to begin. There, there's so many things that we can <laughs> dive into trying to diagnose what happened fixes, but I mean, I guess we can, you know, we can just kind of start with, um, you know, what 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 we saw out there. Um, offensive line got, you know, got beaten up pretty good to two weeks in a row. Interior offensive linemen, I thought both guard positions um, didn't didn't play very well at all. Tyrese Robinson, Marquise Hayes, they struggled quite a bit. And I know that not many people probably want to hear this, Adam, but Creed Humphrey got pushed around quite a bit too. Yeah, I mean, overall, I thought the offensive line played a, a little bit better um, than they did the week before. Uh, still some big problems and a, a lot of guys still shuffling around. Um, it's just frustrating that, you know, we look back to a year ago, uh, other than RJ Proctor, the transfer from Virginia, I think everybody is back this year. And last year we were, we were solid. We weren't great, uh, but just no cohesiveness to start this year no push in the running game pass blocking has been sketchy (laughs) at best and it's just it's mind-boggling that they can't be more consistent with so many returning guys well and initially you know coming right out of the gate first drive you see eric swenson trot out there at the left tackle position and fortunately that was the only possession that he saw the field for that game anton harrison coming in for the second drive true freshman who honestly, I think he probably you could probably make a case for Adrian Ely, but I thought Anton Harrison played really well. You know, given you know first first row game, true freshman, Iowa State's got a really good front seven, uh, especially for 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 the Big Twelve play. But uh, again, yeah, th- they came out. Uh, I thought that the offense, you know, kind of had a fire lit under their belly. You know, scored on the first three possessions, even though two of which they had to settle for field goals, but. You know, once you moved into the second half, uh, I saw a stat that, you know, Keegan Renau had put out on, on Twitter um, or earlier today was uh, b- between Kansas State last week and Iowa State this week, in the second half of both of those ball games, OU averaged less than two yards per carry on, on rush attempts in the second half. So, you know, when, you know, OU is so famous for and what, what kind of what their bread and butter is, is, you know, racing out to these big leads, kind of jumping on people from the get-go. 
when you, when it comes down, uh, you know, when the uh, you turn the page to a second half, and you've got to really be able to, you know, sustain those long drives, run the football, put the game away. If you're averaging less than two yards of carry, offensive lines all holding up at pass protection, you're going to just continue to allow, uh, you know, an Iowa State to to hang around and, and you know come back and win the football game eventually. Yeah, it's it's puzzling that it feels like Lincoln gets away from the the running game the further we get into the second half, and I think definitely there's something to be said for sticking with it and and giving the offensive line more opportunities to block efficiently, more opportunities for the running backs to get one-on-one with the defender and be one broken tackle away from a big play. And yet we're not giving those guys those opportunities, uh, especially in the second half. And um, even in the first, uh, the very first drive we saw where Spencer, you know, dropped a 55 yard pass to, to Rambo to really, you know, make the defense respect the deep ball. And we know Iowa State is going to drop eight guys in coverage, most passing downs too. And uh, we're just not taking advantage of that. That was that drives you crazy. Well, I mean, when, when you go go back to the box score and, and check the stats, I mean, TJ Pledger, 11 carries, 48 yards. Seth McGowan, who I thought had a couple really good runs, you know, make, put, putting his foot in the ground, making a really good cut, getting upfield. He had 12 carries, 55 yards. Spencer Rattler, you know, we, we talk about the – um, kind of the improvement of the offensive line early in the game, even on, you know, not necessarily a quarterback design run, but those plays where pass protection, you know, kind of uh, kind of disappeared. Some of the improvisation and the, and the runs that he made to, to sustain the drives, keep the ball moving, uh, you know, he had nine rushes for 34 yards. So, uh, but it, it just kind of seems, Adam, like in the run game, and we can go back, you know, whether it was a, a Samaje, Joe Mixon, Rodney Anderson, even, you know, with T.J. Pledger and Kennedy Brooks, it seemed like at least once, twice a game, there was always that big play run that, that you just knew it was only a matter of time before that thing was going to pop. And through the first two games of the year, that big play capability from the running back position, it's just not there right now. I, I feel like McGowan is close. Uh, he had that one play in the first quarter where it was the the play action and then little uh, shovel pass to him that he took for about 35 yards. And that I would consider that basically just a, a draw play. <laughs> but um, but he he feels like he's close. There's a lot of runs where it's like, man, he just he has to shake a tackle and and then he's going for 20. Um, and he hasn't quite done that just yet. Um, he <laughs> he faded late in the game trying to run east west. But overall, I think I think he's close. Pledger, I just don't know if he has that that part of his game. He's going to be solid. He's going to run hard. Uh, he's going to he he looks like he like likes to initiate contact in a lot of cases, but I, I just don't know if he has that next level. Well, I, I think that it was it was pretty clear, um, you know, after the game was over last night through these first two weeks, it's pretty clear that Seth McGowan is the clear cut number one option that DeMarco Murray and Lincoln Riley trust, um, you know, when, when it comes time to run the football. I thought that McGowan held up pretty well. Um, he's a little bit undersized, again, as a true freshman. Uh, he held up pretty well in pass protection. Um, and I think that that's another thing, too, that's kind of taken away from the explosiveness and the, the playmaking ability of this offense is when you've got an offensive lineman that you can't count on those five those five guys to hold up in pass protection. You're having to use a running back. You're having to use a tight end or H back, uh, you know, to, to chip blocking and to, to, you know, help keep your quarterback upright. That takes away from what you're able to do on the outside uh, and, and throwing the football down the field. So, uh, but again, d- there's definitely a lot of improvement. I thought, it, I thought we saw a little bit of improvement from, from K state up to Iowa state. But again, um, y- you know, when, uh, it came down to it, and, and, and plays need to be made in that for, in that third and fourth quarter. Oh, you didn't have the ability to, to pass, protect, or run block. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you what do you think about Marcus Major? He hasn't gotten a carry since the very uh, their very first game, and maybe it was because he shared the same number. But to me, he kind of looked like Brendan Clay, which I wasn't really all that impressed with uh, in the opener. But he hasn't had any opportunities since. I mean, do you think that? He should have some, or I mean, because Pledger's not doing anything particularly special. Maybe he's a little bit better pass blocking, but running the ball, he's not doing anything amazing. Well, I thought that Marcus Major, and especially, you know, kind of going back to that first drive when it got down to the, you know, inside the five yard line. I think it was on that on that third and goal. We had it at the at the one yard line, and 
um, you're handing the ball off to, to Seth McGowan when, when you've got Marcus Major, you know, the biggest running back on your team outside of a suspended Ramondre Stevenson. Um, I, th- I thought that that would have been a prime situation for them to be able to hand the ball off to him. Um, you know, go get us one yard, go get us in the end zone. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure if if it's a practice type thing, if he just doesn't practice well. I'm not sure if if he's in the doghouse or if it's some type of disciplinary issue. Um, I think it's unfair for us to, you know, assume or jump to any type of conclusions, you know, when it comes to stuff like that. But, um, we, you know, we, when you've got J.D. Runnels, you know, an all-time tight end who when this kid coming out of high school was, you know, comparing him to – he was the closest thing – to Adrian Peterson as he's ever seen. I mean, the the accolades and the, you know, the to, to hear a, a type of statement and prediction from the guy that actually blocked for Adrian Peterson, it's it's just uh I I don't I don't know what's keeping him off the field. He I, I think that he should at least, you know, get a few carries and um it, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. Yeah, I I agree. Um I would love to see a little bit more sample size just so just so we know, but uh, going beyond that, you also see guys that are on the field um, receiving the ball and not doing hardly anything. Uh, Theo Weiss, one reception, six yards. He was a popular pick going into the year to be the leading guy, the go-to, the playmaker. So far through three games, pretty much nothing to show for it. And uh, and really from just a wide receiver standpoint, uh, not a lot to, to go there. Rambo, four catches, 61 yards, 55 of which came on one play. And then Mims, I mean, he's a young guy, so, you know, kind of give him a pass. It's He's doing great just to get out there and have three catches, 33 yards. Theo Howard, a catch for 14, and Drake Stoops, one for nine. That's that's it. That's all you get from your receivers. Well, and and I think it was even right before the, the play actually happened. You shot me a text and said, you know, where's, where's Theo we at? You know, I think he had, what was it, two, maybe three targets the entire game. And you sent me that text, and, you know, lo and behold, the next play, uh, it was Spencer Rattler rolling out and, you know, evading pressure and throwing that deep ball down the sideline, and it just goes right through Theo's hands. And, you know, he catches that. You know, he probably scores at worst. You're inside the five-yard line with the, you know, with the chance to, you know, to, to kind of put the game away. So um, I would I would hope, you know, moving forward, I, I think that, you know, other than Hazelwood, who's hurt right now, and Bridges that's suspended, Mims has been Mims has been a bright spot for for this football team. He kind of disappeared a little bit last night, but again, I thought he played well when his number was called. Um, but you know, I, I think that Theo is definitely someone that they've got to they got to try and find more ways to get him involved. You know, whether it's the, um, you know, whether it's throwing the ball down the field, you know, the screen pass, the mesh routes, tr- trying to get him out in space. Um, but I, I thought that I thought that. Uh, uh, receiver position last night, you know, was a little underwhelming with their performance. Obi Obiallo, uh, a guy that, you know, transferred in the transfer out of Marshall. It was our first chance to actually get a chance to see him in action. And um, he looks just like Lee Morris. It's spot on. And uh, Spencer puts that ball on him. That was probably, I mean, that's a top two or three throw that he's made all year and he's made some good ones. Uh, you got to catch that football, dude. You, you transferred from Marshall. You came here to OU to get the exposure, try to get yourself to the next level. You got to catch a, you got to catch a football like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that pass and also the one to Weiss that was deep. I mean, those were just lasers ropes, uh, you know, 20, 40 yards down the field in some cases. And I feel like Spencer Radler, he got a lot, he's still getting a lot of undeserved criticism as a redshirt freshman that is basically doing all the work, not getting hardly any help, but he's continually throwing darts like that, that I don't know I've ever seen anyone in OU uniform actually do before. Well, I, I mean, I think it goes without saying, and again, we're just, we're just three games into this thing, but the, the arm town on this kid is, you know, it's, it's Baker-esque, it's Kyler-esque, uh, and, and it's superior to Jalen. But uh, again, I thought that he played extremely well last night, made some pretty good passes, had a, had a couple, you know, poor decisions, but that's, that's to be expected. Um, you know, with the redshirt freshman. And um, again, I thought that, you know, OU's not in that football game, you know, even remotely close if he doesn't play as well as he did. So um, I, I like what I'm seeing from Spencer. But again, there's only so much he can do. You got to have the guys around you that can make the plays when the ball is given to you. And you've got to have linemen up there that can that can pass block and, and keep him upright. So um, a lot to, uh, I guess, a, a bright spot on the offense that, that we've seen, especially last night, is that H-back position that we keep coming back to. I thought that 
Austin Stogner had a had a tremendous game last night. He did. He was working the middle of the field uh, like usual, and, and Jeremiah Hall as well. He had the the two little flare outs for touchdowns, but also uh, was kind of the the safety blanket on third down as well. It it's great to get that type of production out of that position and know that you have those guys always there, but at the same time, are those guys going to make, you know, the 50 yard touchdown when we need a, a momentum gainer? I, I don't see it. No, I mean, when, if you're relying on the, uh, on your tight end and your H back to be the source of your, your, you know, your, your playmaking, your big time plays, um, then I think that you've got problems at, uh, on, on different areas. So, um, but again, I thought the, I thought the offense played well, kind of stalled out a little bit in the second half, especially with the running game, but, um, just taking a step back, you know, sleeping on it, thinking about it even more today, talking with to a couple buddies out on the golf course this morning, offense wasn't the reason why we lost that football game. The, the, the defense, it, it almost seems like, you know, same, um, same song, different verse, but the, the, the defense last night, Adam, I'll just, I'll just let you run with that. I just go man where, where do you want to start on the defensive side of the football I mean it's 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 absolutely embarrassing the way that we go out there after a loss to Kansas State and throw out that performance on defense we know that we have more talent we have more talent than everybody in the conference even if we don't have the exact right guys even if we have five foot ten defensive backs instead of six foot two corners we should still be more talented to the point um, where, you know, this type of tackling performance dropped interceptions, penalties. I mean, th this is way too much to overcome. And it sadly, it's a continuation of things that we've seen for the last four seasons here. And we're in year two of Alex Grinch at this point with some of his guys recruited in. Most of them can't get on the field for some reason. <laughs> And we're still doing the same things that are costing us games that we were doing in 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. And here we are, and we're, it, we should be a lot closer, but it really doesn't feel like we're any closer than we were back then. I, I think, I think that last night and the culmination of the last two weeks has really kind of shined a light on on what the program's been about for the last four or five years. You, you know, e even during the the very end of the Mike Stoops era, when you have a quarterback like Baker, like Baker Mayfield, and have a guy like Kyler Murray, and even Jalen Hurts last year, when when you've got guys at the quarterback position that can put up 40, 50, 60 points a game, they can hide those deficiencies on the defensive side of the football. And for, it seems like for the last three or four years, the defense they always knew, okay, you know, we're going to struggle or, okay, I just got burned. I just got beat. That's okay. I, we know that the offense is going to bail us out. But when you've got the offensive side of the football that hasn't played as well as what we've seen by comparison to the past teams, that the, a light is just, is just shine even brighter on the, on the uh, mistakes and the deficiencies on, on the defensive side of the football. So, um, I, I'm at the point right now, Adam, and it, again, let, let me get your thoughts on this. You've got guys on that defense, especially in the secondary. You look at Trey Brown. He's been playing for three years. You look at DTY, who I think, you know, except for a few times last night where he slipped, he's, been, he's played pretty well. You know, he's played two, three years of football. Pat Fields, two, three years of football. Jaden Davis, who other than that one play last night on that slant, I think that he's been, you know, OU's probably their most consistent DB. And we'll, we'll get to Buki here in a second. But when, when you've got guys that, that Alex Grinch has recruited for the last two or three years, those bigger body type DBs, 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", how on earth can you possibly keep trotting out these 5'9", 5'10", guys to try to cover these 6'6", tight ends or these 6'2", 6'3", DBs, or excuse, excuse me, 6'2", 6'3", wide receivers, and it's just over and over again. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. You know, there's a lot of people that were really upset with Trey Brown from last night's game. I feel like it was mainly just off of the one holding call. He really didn't get targeted that much. Neither did Jaden Davis. Um, he had that one missed tackle, but I, I think he's been pretty solid. Really, Iowa State knew that they had a five foot ten Pat Fields and basically a five foot seven Buki covering a six foot six. Uh, Charlie Kohler and uh, and their other tight end who 
I'm not sure how tall he actually was, but he obviously is a big guy. And they said, we don't need to pass to any of our receivers, really. We're just going to go to the tight end the entire game. And Adam, Adam, it got to a point where Char or where Brock Purdy was essentially saying, okay, I, I know that you might be covered by two or three defenders, but my guy's bigger than yours. I'm just going to throw it up. And one, you're either going to make a play or there's going to be a flag thrown. Yeah. Yeah, because Buki had no chance against no. Charlie Kohler. No. Um, and frankly, you know, Pat Fields put himself in some better positions, but even then he can't bring down any interception to save his life. And, and we're seeing missed tackles. And Buki twice uh, absolutely whiffed on, on a receiver after they caught the ball at really, really ugly whiffs. And that's uh, it's so frustrating to watch that happen over and over and over and over again. We saw, you know, Pat Fields missed tackles. Uh, Delaren Turner yelled. He slipped a couple times, gave up some touchdowns uh, or some big plays. And, you know, we also saw this in the running game, too, where Brees Hall would get a handoff. He'd get hit in the backfield, and he thought, man, we're getting him for a loss. And then, you know, he runs up to the line of scrimmage, breaks another tackle, and before you know it, he's got 15 yards. And that's – it just drives you crazy to watch that because I think what it does come down to and what you were alluding to earlier is it's all mentality. Uh, tackling – like, these guys know their technique. <laughs> they've been trained. They've been playing football for a long time. It, taking them out onto the practice field and – holding up a tackle dummy and running them through the drill rolling Monday the donut. through Friday. Like it's, it's, that's not going to do anything. These guys know the technique. It's, it's all about mentality. If you are going to be the dominant, uh, you know, force on the field, you're going to come up, you're going to square up and you're going to just nail the guy when you have a chance to do it. I feel like our team is almost so scared of making a mistake and they have this mentality of, you know, OU defense is not that great. They really kind of run up and they want to grab at you and they don't really want to, you know, form tackle and knock you down. It's, it's a mental thing. And I, I truly think that's passed on from the coaching staff. And, and again, I'm, I've never been one that that's going to sit here and, and bash a bunch of, you know, 18 to 22 year old, you know, college football players, you know, that they put their bodies online, they put in the work, they bust their ass every single game. But at some point, there has to be an almost look in the mirror type scenario where you're a division one football player. You're playing at the university of Oklahoma and Adam, I don't know how many times last night where we had a guy, you know, basically trapped, you know, for, for a tackle for loss, there were three or four times. And again, like you alluded to Brees Hall, who was on one ankle for more than half of that game spins out of it and turns a three yard loss into a six yard gain. You can't have plays like that and, and expect to be the dominant defense that OU fans are so desperately wanting to see from their team. So, uh, but it, yeah, it's, but it's, it's well, some... no, go ahead. Let, let me ask you this as far as like a mentality, uh, Mike Stoops, it felt mm -hmm. like, especially towards the end of his run, was very much about we have to get the perfect play call against their, their offense. And guys were thinking so much and it wasn't simple. And and the mentality was if we don't have, you know, that perfect play, then we might get beat. And it was so, uh, you know, don't get beat mentality. It really just destroyed the defense in, in our ability to actually execute. Alex Grinch is a little bit different, but I'm still not seeing like that killer instinct out of the defense. Do you feel that? Well, I think that the biggest difference between an Alex Grinch system and what we saw from, from Mike Stoops is, you know, Mike always felt like he needed to have the perfect play for every single scenario or every uh, formation, anything that the offense threw at us. So, and again, how many times, you know, during the Mike Stoops era, did you see defenders out there with three seconds left on the play clock signaling, you know, what, what do I do? What's my assignment? Whereas now I feel like under the Alex Grinch uh, regime, he simplified it a little bit and his system is more predicated upon, you know, that, that max effort, 150% every single play. And for the most part, I feel like Grinch, I think he's putting guys, I, I think that, you know, more times than not, he's making the right calls. He's putting these guys in the right position. But at the end of the day, the players have to go make the plays. You, you know, Pat, Pat Fields can't drop three interceptions. You can't have 
15 missed tackles. Like there's only so much that, again, that a coach can do. I know that it goes back to the fundamentals, the teaching, you know, kind of install instilling that mental toughness, that killer instinct that honestly, I don't think OU's had since what the mid two thousands, honestly, since, you know, that uh, I'd say what, probably the last, the last time that we've seen a defense where, you know, uh, an offense would go out in the field that, uh, you know, OU, you know, they would knock somebody out. The, you know, the Travis Lewis era, the Tony Jefferson, you know, even before back with Rocky Calmus, Teddy, Dusty, all those guys. There's no fear of that OU defense anymore. And I'm at the point now, Adam, and well, let me get your thoughts on this. We we know what OU's done on the recruiting trail the last two or three years, bringing in those those high four-star, even a couple five-star defensive uh, defensive players. We've got so many guys right now that are taking up a majority of the reps during game time, like a Trey Brown, three years, you know. Put the young guys out there. It it, it, Honestly, it can't get any worse, and we're seeing the mistakes that are getting made by by Buki, who's been in the program for three years. Trot another guy out there. If he's going to make mistakes, I at least want him to make mistakes because he's going to grow from it. And – and honestly, Adam, if 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 Alex Grinch trots Buki out there on Saturday, I was I was looking at Texas's roster earlier. You go down and see what they've got from a skill set position in the wide receiver and the tight end room. Let me pull this up here. Uh, right here. Okay, Texas's wide receiver: six four, six three, six two, six one. They're two tight ends that they play. Uh, you know, 10, 15 snaps a game. Jared Wiley, six foot seven, two hundred fifty four pounds. Malcolm Epps, six foot six, two hundred forty four pounds. If Alex Grinch throws five foot nine Buki out there, who's got torched the last two games, what what do they expect from us as, as a fan base? Buki better find a way to get into contact tracing before Texas. <laughs> well, I don't know what else it's going to take. Burned. I I I know, and I, if you look back just on the history, the recent history of OU defense, when younger guys have gotten in, remember uh, Jordan Thomas got in as a freshman and was really great as a freshman. By the time he was a senior, he was getting replaced by Trey Brown and, uh, and Trey Norwood. And both those guys came in and they were better at that point. Mm-hmm. Has Trey Brown gotten better since he's started that or really got into that bedlam game in 2017? I, I uh, probably a little bit, um, but he really also hasn't hit a ceiling that we we thought he was able to achieve. So I, I'm right there with you. Maybe not all the young guys all at once, but you got to try something like Jeremiah Cradell. The guy, the guy was highly recruited. He's been here for a year. He redshirted last season. What what do you have to lose? Woody he's Washington. Two, he's two inches. Thing. He's two inches taller. He's 20 pounds heavier, and he's faster than what's currently at that position right now at Nickelback. So I, I know that I know that Buki, and again, you, you can you can speak to this as much as anybody. I've probably been the biggest defender of Buki since his, he's been on campus. One, he's playing out of position. He was a five-star corner in high school, hasn't played one snap at corner. Again, he's he's too small, especially in this league, when you've got the the big frame wide receivers that we're so accustomed to seeing in this conference. But whether it's a Bryson Washington playing, you know, at the safety position, throwing in a Jeremiah Cradell, uh, you know, p- putting a, a Joshua Eaton six foot three corner that people have just raved about this whole this whole offseason. At some point, you, you've got to look to make a change because it's clear that what what's being put out on the field right now, they're just not getting it done. Yeah, I, I'm okay with the corners for the moment. I think Trey Brown has a, a short leash, in my opinion. But I'm looking more at, you know, that nickelback, getting Cradell in there. According to the depth chart at free safety, Justin Broyles or Bryson Washington is right behind Pat Fields. I don't want Justin Broyles necessarily to get some playing time based on what we've seen from him. But uh, could Bryson Washington or Woody Washington or, or even Trey Norwood get some run there? You know, I would just love to see it. At least, like, prove, prove me wrong that the guys behind him are – that much worse than what we've seen and Buki like just he's making everything worse I've never seen someone talk so much and deliver so little you you sent that (laughs) you sent that message to me last night and you said that what it was the epitome of Buki's career where 
They threw the ball to the to the tight end in the end zone. Buki is hanging off the guy's back. Ball's incomplete, comes out. Buki starts waving his finger, talking trash, and then you see the flag come in. It's just at some point, you know, what's the definition of insanity? You know, trying something 10,000 times, expecting different results. And, again, we're going to see it happen, Adam. Like, I guarantee I will be shocked if it does not happen. First defensive snap in the Cotton Bowl next Saturday, 11 a.m. OU Texas. Buki will be your starting nickel lined up against a six-six tight end. Yeah, and I, and if and if you're Sam Ellinger and Tom Herman, I'm throwing the ball to that. I'm I'm targeting Buki fifteen to twenty times a game. Yeah, I, I. I just don't have trust in the coaching staff to actually make these changes before Texas. I know why, that. Why do you think that is? Why is that? Because they look right we... past it and see a bye week, and they don't want to change things up before a, a big-time opponent. And I kind of look at it, I'm like, well, what do you have to lose? Like, Ellinger is going to pick apart our secondary, whether <laughs> whether we put the you know the same guys out there. But if we if we put in some some younger guys that have some little bit more size, maybe are a little bit more talented, even if they don't have as much experience, at least there's a chance they could make a play. I just I don't believe that you know some of the guys that we're rolling out there right now are going to do anything. Well, and I'm not sure if if it's a um, you know if they're stagnant, if they're comfortable, but you know throw those young guys out there that are eager and. They're hungry. They want to make plays. They want to make a name for themselves. They want the playing time. So just give them an opportunity. But, I mean, I, I and we'll dive into Ronnie Perkins here in a second. It sounds like OU's going to get their best defensive player back. But I, I, I think that I think that the linebacker position has been – it's been solid, but there's there hasn't been anything in the last two weeks that's just been – like it's just jumped off the page to me. Um uh, again, you know, Brian Mead made a tackle last night. And again, don't want to spend this whole time, you know, um, putting Brian Mead down because I think he's been a good football player here for the last four going on six years. But when you've got when you've got a guy like Shane Witter, who some people have said is a top five fastest guy on the team, he's just as fast, if not faster, than Brian Osamoa, Deshaun White. Throw the kid out there, see what he can do. Yeah, I feel like the linebackers haven't been terrible but they also haven't shown a whole lot either Deshaun White at this point kind of just is what he is he's he's, he's steady he's, not, he's steady yeah, he's, he's just not gonna do much else other than that throwing in a guy like a Guaybu, he looks the part and ha- the potential is there I think the gears are turning a little bit slow for him right now so that makes sense and and Osamoa I, he didn't really I didn't see a ton from him uh, the other night, he was just kind of, he was just kind of there. Um, but he's got the speed um, to really make a difference, but it's, it's actually all going to come together for him. Yeah. And we'll kind of transition over here to the, to the defensive line. Cause OU's going to get some much needed help here uh, going into to, to Texas week. But uh, you know, for, for this game, there were, I, I thought that the defensive line, um, I thought that they played pretty well. They kind of held their own. Um I thought that in terms of rushing the quarterback, it seemed like Brock Purdy more often than not was having to escape the pocket. He was running from his life. But it seemed like it's it seemed like other than the Isaiah Thomas play, OU was constantly able to get pressure on Purdy, but they were never able to like get their hands on him and actually finish the play. So it am I is that assumption correct or am I being too generous as far as their performance goes? Yeah, I, I feel like the defensive line wasn't I mean, they were there a lot of times, a lot more than they were against Kansas State. But um, you know, the, there just wasn't a complete collapse of the pocket very often. You know, it'd be, it'd be one of our defenders kind of, you know, made some pressure and then he was able to just move slightly away from it and kind of run out and, and get a pass off. There wasn't the complete, you know, just collapse there. And I don't know, looking at like stats or anything like this or didn't count up how many times blitz uh, you know took place but it it seems like other teams do this to us all the time where you know they'll they'll bring the house they'll bring two linebackers or a safety or whatever and Iowa State did it you know with the corner blitz uh, twice at least twice last night and that's just not something that I guess Grinch is, is comfortable with bringing very often and you really know, creating havoc you know one of the reasons why I think that is because he doesn't trust I don't think the, he, he doesn't trust his DBs yeah, to hold up in man him, coverage yeah. So yeah, I 
but at the same time, if you're going to be that unpredictable defense that keeps offense on their heels, you have to change things up and bring something they're not expecting. And, and maybe that is the difference because there was the, there was the one play, I think it was the one where, where Purdy threw it, you know, into the end zone and fields reached up and batted it instead of catching it or even attempting to <laughs> catch it. And I, I believe that was a play where there was enough pressure where Purdy was hit as he was throwing the ball some, something simple like that can make the difference for your defenders to get into position or maybe the, the pass, you know, gets deflected or whatever might happen where it gives your defenders more of a chance where they can react to it rather than be chasing down the receiver as he's catching it. Well, we saw the impact that, that a turnover can have on the entire football team. I mean, look, look at Isaiah Thompson's play. Strip sacks the quarterback, Josh Elson recovers it. And it just it ignites a fire that's contagious across the whole team. The offense came out fired up. You could tell that they had an extra, uh, you know, extra little hitch in their giddy up, and you know they went they go right down the field and, and score a touchdown. So uh, OU needs to OU needs to get more of that. You know, you, you got to figure out a way to if you're not going to get turnovers, you you know you, you need those three outs. You need to you need to force some punts. But uh, I think that I, and again I don't know how much help it's going to help some it, it always is when you add a player back to the lineup that's of the caliber of a Ronnie Perkins but you know adding back OU's most important and and you know most talented defensive lineman in Ronnie Perkins which sounds like he's going to be back down in Dallas this week do you think Adam that that is kind of you know whether it's uh like almost like a little you know injection of energy or confidence booster or how much impact does getting Ronnie back this week help OU Man, I don't know if it can help with the confidence of, of the secondary that we're rolling out at this point, but you'd hope that it would make a difference. Uh, at the very least, put a lot more pressure, you know, get some sacks, get some some poor decisions from, from Ellinger so that we can get some of those turnovers. As you said, it makes a huge difference. It felt like the game was turned. It felt like we were, we were about to just close it out at that point. And uh, the, uh, on ESPN or ABC rather last night, Todd Blackledge brought up a, a stat that just felt so embarrassing. I don't remember the exact details of what the stat was, but it had to do with the defense forcing turnovers. And he, I think it was from last year. He said the only teams that OU was better than was Rutgers, NC State, and UTEP. Woof. Like, <laughs> that's so bad that we're even mentioning the same sentence as those programs. And uh, you'd like to think Perkins can help with that, but there's a lot more problems than just one guy on this defense. Well, I think that getting Perkins back, one, it's going to, you know, it's going to make the, the, the overall play of the defensive line better because, again, look at the talent. He's a, he's a top one, two draft type, uh, NFL draft type pick. But, um, again, if he's not getting to the quarterback, you're still in the same boat as where you're at right now where you're expecting the secondary guys to make plays. And, Honestly, who what what OU fan is confident right now going into the Cotton Bowl that you know we're going to see a, a a huge improvement from the defensive backs uh, for the, for the game on Saturday? But uh, again, I, I think that um, I, I think that having Perkins back, it, it's going to allow um, players like a Perrion Winfrey, like a Leron Stokes, to kind of free them up. Maybe they were getting double teamed, and now they're going to be in more one on one type situations where they can you know have a greater impact in in terms of pass rush, getting off blocks tackling the running backs. But I think that um, Ronnie Perkins, he's going to get his, but I think that the impact that he can have on the other defensive linemen, I think that it frees them up uh, tremendously. Yeah, Winfrey has been in the backfield a lot through the first couple of games, but really hasn't done anything yet. So hopefully this can help him a lot. Benito's been a little, a little hit and miss here and there. So, yeah, I, I agree. I hope it can be something that really opens up some opportunities for other guys. With Perkins, though, I, I kind of wonder if he's going to play enough games just to get his tape to prove what he can do and then sit out, opt out at that point because we're not playing for a whole lot. Um, well, if you, if you lose Saturday, your season's over. Yeah, I mean, in my you, opinion, it's already over. Uh, we're not winning a national championship. This is that's a failed season for you, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. But in, in terms of like uh, again, goal every year is win a national championship. Anything less is you know a disappointment to, to Sooner fans. Um, you again, it's a big if. I'm 
at this point right now, I'm not confident at all, and I, I, I can't see myself right now picking OU to win this weekend. Um, but if you went out, you take care of Texas, take care of TCU, Oklahoma State, you're going to find yourself in the Big 12 championship game. So there is, or there still is going to be some help that OU is going to need, but there still is, there still are things for for guys to play for. And, and again, when you're um, when you're going to get Perkins back, Stevenson's going to be back, Bridges will be back. There's the, the season's not over. But if you don't win on Saturday, it's done. Yeah, I, I think things could snowball pretty bad um, if you if you basically trot out the same guys Saturday, take an L, you know, Perkins is probably thinking, man, what did I do coming, coming back? Caleb Kelly's packing his bags for the portal. Humphrey's gone. I mean, it, it, things could get, could, could certainly get pretty rough. Um, yeah. So I mean, hopefully, hopefully the mentality changes. I, I, it's frustrating to hear the coaches give, you know, the coach speak and, I'm sure it's slightly different messaging behind closed doors than it is in the, the press conferences, but to hear them constantly go out and say, Oh, we've been in this position before and we're just going to, we just have to be better. And I, there's something along the lines. Lincoln uh, Riley said it, Lincoln Riley said in his post-game press conference that they are so, so close. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if that's coach speak, if that's trying to keep his players engaged, you know, I, obviously he's not going to, He's not going to badmouth his players, and I, I mean, I think that that's the that's the position and the role that you've got to take as a coach. But I mean, I, they're not close, Adam. That's a, I no. mean, th- that's a bad football team that we've seen the last two weeks. Yeah, and and it's it's so much mental because we know we have better talent than Kansas State and Iowa State. Even if even if it's inexperienced, we know we have better talent, and there are groups that are very experienced. Offensive line should be way better uh, case in point. So it's frustrating that that's the message that's, that's going out rather than more of, and maybe it's just a fan perspective. We want to hear something more along the lines of this is unacceptable. Like this is Oklahoma. We need to be better. And I think it does somewhat start at the top. Hopefully Lincoln's giving a different message inside the locker room than he is to the, to the press. But um, yeah, I mean, the buck stops with him. Two two things for you, real quick. Number one, you're you're a you're a one and two football team. You're coming off two straight losses. You're zero and two in conference play. It's going to be a tough week. We all we all know that you know the 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 week after a, a loss here in Norman, it, it it's tough on the fan base. Sports talk radio is going crazy. Podcast radio, message boards, all that stuff's going to be you know it, it's going to be crazy we talk about the mental toughness of this team, how it hasn't been there for the last two games. Once, once K-State, once Iowa State got rolling, OU was never able to recover and stop the bleeding. As a, as a coach, if you can't get your guys up for an OU-Texas game, your biggest rivalry, your season on the line, I, I, I don't know where else you go. I don't know where else you go from here. Well, and that's that's concerning because look at the recent history in the Cotton Bowl. OU really has been punched in the mouth quite a few times, looking like they weren't really all that excited to be there. Last year, 2019, was probably the first time since Landry Jones, I think, where it felt like, even though it was a one-possession game, I think by, by the end of the final score, it really felt like OU was in control of that game for the most part. Whereas there's been quite a few times where we've been highly ranked. Texas is not that good. We throw out a stinker, we squeak by or we lose. So I I don't necessarily know that we have the answer to go out and be fired up for this. Well, and I I saw a stat um, during the off season, you know, we we were talking about, you know, kind of the mindset and what, what type of OU team is going to show up in Dallas every year. Uh, because it doesn't it doesn't matter you know if if Texas is you know two and four if they're if they're six and zero oh, you're going to get Texas's best game every year in Dallas and we just haven't seen that from from OU over the last decade but I, I want to say that the stat was is eight, eight out of the last nine times that OU has been favored against Texas Texas has either won outright or they've covered the you know less than seven point spread in every single game so. This is the type that I think that this is the week where you you truly find out what you've got inside that locker room from a leadership perspective, 
are you going to have anybody that's going to stand up and say, we're one and two, this is it, this is our biggest rivalry, this is the team that we absolutely hate the most, let's sack up and let's go down there and, you know, go go down swinging. Because Texas is, is just as talented, maybe even more talented than OU if you go by class rankings, uh, you know, for, for recruiting standpoint. But it, it, if they don't get up for it this week, then th- this season is going to spiral out of control. You're looking at a potentially two, three more losses because OSU's not – OSU OU's not beating OSU right now. Are they going to TCU and winning? Texas Tech and Lubbock? I mean – yeah, I mean, this is this is the game where you have to make your stand. And offensively, I feel like every week that goes by, Spencer Rattler is going to take more and more control of that leadership role. Uh, you know, the offensive line, I'm still I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit thinner thread, but I'm still trusting uh, Beatonball to, to get the right guys and get something humming there. But defensively, your team captain is out there dropping interceptions, missing tackles. I think Buki still holds a leadership position for some reason on the defense because of his, I don't know, reputation coming in uh, from high school and look at the performance, you know, he's out there. So there's no accountability for your leadership on defense. Getting Perkins back is hopefully going to help a lot with that, but I don't know. I just don't, I don't trust our defense to be any better at all. No, and again, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of talk around Norman this week. You know what changes are going to be made? Are the coaches going to actually, you know, throw some you know th- throw some wrinkles out there, put some put some new players at those at those positions that we've seen struggle tremendously over the past few weeks. So, um, Adam, kind of one or two more things that that I want to you know kind of touch on before we get out of here. We talked a little bit earlier about um, the the culture and kind of that mental toughness that's instilled within your players inside the program. And it, it was talked about a lot on the radio last night, you know, coming home from, from where I was watching the game at. The strength and conditioning coach has a tremendous impact on, on the players, not only from the, on the physical side of being an athlete, the, you know, the strength, putting on the muscle, the speed, the agility, acceleration, but also from a mental toughness standpoint you know putting them through challenges putting them through you know kind of like that that seal type training where you're you're trying to push them to their their breaking point and getting them over that breaking point the strength and conditioning coach spends more time with that football team than the head coach than any of the other assistant coaches so is is there does there come a point in time where you have to start kind of not point fingers i don't know if that's the right phrase but do you kind of have to take a step back and reevaluate if we've got if we're truly getting the most of what we need out of out of that position? It's it's probably the toughest position on staff for us to evaluate because we really don't see his work. Uh, whereas Lincoln Riley, we see the play calls on the field. Benny Wiley, we we only can speculate what might be tied to him. It's curious because with with Jerry Schmidt, we've gone he was there long enough that we had a lot of former players come through you know and and tell stories and different things and there was a consistent line with him which was basically you hated 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 his workouts but at the end of the day you knew it was helping you and it was good good for you and good for the team and everything Wiley has been here not long enough for us to know quite yet if people feel that way about him or or how that might go, but just from seeing him, uh, hearing him speak videos, things like that, you kind of do get the idea that he is definitely like, you know, a, a player's coach in a sense, which can have some good attributes for sure. But there certainly were a lot of concerns when we hired him based on what he did or didn't do at Texas or Texas tech. And I think you do have to start wondering a lot. Is this a soft football team? from a physicality standpoint right now defensively absolutely offensively this year so far yes I don't think that's been true the past couple of years we've had the running game to be a physical offensive team but defensively absolutely you you know listening to 
listening to Teddy, you know, talk and listening to Gabe talk and, you know, Rufix Alexander, a lot of those other guys, you know, that, that are in the media type roles that they're in now and they have a chance to kind of reflect on their time from back at OU. It's exactly what you said. You know, Schmitty's workouts are, you know, they're they're world famous. Absolutely suck, hated doing them. But at the end of the day, you knew that you were going to be a better player because of them. So, um, again, not we're not not point fingers at anything. We're just kind of, you know, kind of relaying what's been you know, what we're hearing, what's been talked about. But at some point, the the physicality has got to has got to be, you know, ramped up. I know that the offensive line the past few years has been has been tremendous. Joe Moore Award winner in two thousand eighteen. Um, but it just doesn't seem like on both sides of the football right now that um, I don't know if aggression is the right is the right word to use, but it just doesn't seem like they've got that that killer instinct in them right now. The case in point, and again, I'll throw this back to you. Do you remember the play last night where Brees Hall was going down the sideline, running straight at Trey Brown? And he acted as though he was going to hurdle him, and he jumped too soon, and kind of decided, "Uh oh, bad idea, not going to do this." And Trey just kind of jumped up into him and pushed him out of bounds. Uh, yeah, uh, I, 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 I don't understand the, what he was thinking there. Yeah, I mean, Trey, Trey was going right at him. And, and again, we're, we're not badgering these guys, but, you know, they're Division One football players. They're out there for a reason. They're extremely talented. You've got Trey Brown running right at him, and then you've got two other guys coming along the side. Knock the crap out of him. Don't just go up there and just like, okay, I'm pushing you out of bounds. Let's go on to the next one. That mentality is not there, and and that's what we've seen back in the early 2000s, back in those early, you know, I hate to say it, but the Brent Venables and the the first Mike Stoops era, that that same mentality and toughness and willing to knock somebody on their ass, it, it, it's not there right now. You, you know, watching watching this defense. Yeah, it it was so strange to watch him jump too. Like, what did, what were you gonna jump up and high five him? Or I don't I don't understand like what you gain by jumping with him. That makes zero sense. And uh, <laughs> just reminds me to think that back in December, Trey Brown was one of the guys that was rumored to be out the uh, suspended, you know, like Perkins and, and Stevenson, all those guys. And we were, you know, so excited when we found out he wasn't a part of that. So <laughs> it's funny how things turn. Well, and again, this will be the last point on, on that particular play. But, you know, j just watching the game last night was with my dad and, and, and a couple of buddies. Brees Hall jumps up in the air. Trey Brown meets him at the top and kind of just pushes him out of bounds. Think back to the 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 early days, kind of the prominent roles when you've when you've got a a, a Roy Williams, a Brandon Everidge, a Derek Strait, Tony Jefferson, even Stephen Parker for that matter, going going that far back. You know, they're not jumping up there and, and pushing them out of bounds. You know, you you if you're gonna if you're gonna make a business decision to try to jump over me. One, I'm not going to let it happen, and two, because you're doing that, I'm going to make you pay for it also. So I, I, I just want to see more fight out of this football team. I, again, I think that the coaching could be a little bit better, but at the end of the day, I think Grinch is putting them, is putting them in the right situation more times than not, and at some point, a player's got to make plays. True, but like if you are not going to have the accountability to take a guy off the field, even if it's for just a couple of plays, to say, hey – what you did or the lack of the playmaking that you, you had out there on the play before unacceptable, but like, there's just no accountability. Another example, Eric Swenson continues to start, continues to get playing time, continues to get beat around the edge. And there's just no accountability for that. Same with the defensive backs, you know, Buki out there committing penalties, whiffing badly on tackles and, there's really no there's no downside to him other than giving up big plays but he continues to play so there's just no accountability maybe there's something that's going on in practice that we don't see but in a game situation no sweat off their back well and again OU opens up as a two and a half point favorite against Texas this weekend right now that's, if that's amazing how I, I, I mean, if you think about it too, Texas should really be should be one and two. Also, um, you know, I don't know how Texas Tech blows that fifteen point lead with three minutes left last week, um, but I, I don't know. That that's going to be. It was already going to be an extremely weird OU Texas game to begin with. Again, there's only going to be twenty five thousand people there, and nobody else at the fair. Fair's not even going to be going on. But I mean, you've got you've got two football teams right now that, I mean. 
one person's season is going to be essentially over. The other one needs it to kind of get back on track. But a two-and-a-half-point favorite, I don't know. Vegas is is right way more than they are wrong. But if I was putting money on something right now, I think I'd probably take Texas two-and-a-half on that. Yeah. And, mean, and my question to you, dude, is what – you don't have to give me your pick right now. We'll kind of dive into that later in the week. But is there anything right now that gives you confidence going into the game this weekend? Normally, I would say, you know, it's Texas – they are going to underachieve but <laughs> as we mentioned earlier they bring their best game to the cotton bowl pretty much pretty much every year last year wasn't as great but traditionally we've seen their their best game we we are reeling a lot more than they are um you know i think that's the difference in a team that could potentially win the conference is that you know if you pull out a miracle in lubbock like texas did a couple weeks ago um whereas we tank against Kansas state and we crumble against Iowa state and there's no signs that anything is going to change for us. So I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence. I'll, I'll be certainly hoping and cheering for you, but I just don't have any confidence right now. Well, um, excited to get down there. OU Texas. It's, it's always my favorite weekend in sports. I know it'll be a little bit different this year, but uh, again, that, that rivalry, that game, that stadium, I mean, it's it's always a blast. So, uh, But, Adam, before we get out of here, um, really anything else, you know, kind of recapping Iowa State, that was OU's first first time in 21 years that they've lost back-to-back games in a regular season. So, um, I mean, we've been, we've been spoiled, you know, as OU fans. And uh, is, it, is it time right now to where you truly do press that panic button or – is it still, uh, you know, kind of pump the brakes a little bit and just kind of let it play out? It certainly feels a lot like, I think it was 2012, uh, we lost at Baylor uh, on that Robert Griffin Hail Mary pass, and, and we went from being 19-0 and against Baylor to 19-1. and It certainly feels a lot like that, where we've got these, you know, first time losing back-to-back games since 1999, first loss in Ames since 1960. Uh, <laughs> I know we've been spoiled, but the standard is high for a reason at OU. Um, I guess the panic button has been pressed. (laughs) This is bad. This is bad. (laughs) Let me ask you, let me ask you one more question. We're going to kind of borrow this from another podcast. I thought that, I thought that it was a really good question uh, and want to get your thoughts on it. Describing last night's game or essentially let's even take it a step further. First three weeks of the year, Give me a word to describe this football team right now. Or to describe what you've seen so far as a fan. So many options to go with here. Can't be a cuss word. (laughs) Um, I think disturbing is probably the word I got to go with. Because these are trends that we've seen you know, as we mentioned with the defense since 2016 specifically. And, you know, 2017 was the, you know, the big recruiting class we got with Lincoln where we felt like, yeah, this is, you know, the, the recruits we needed coming off of our first playoff appearance. And this, now that we were going to get recruiting turnaround, everything was going to start getting better. We get to 2019, not much has, has really changed, but at least we got a new defensive coordinator. So we're a few years behind okay, things are going to start turning around. We're here in 2020, and it looks like things are basically still the same. So it is disturbing that we're still, at least feels like we're still in the same spot that we were back then. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I think that you're, you're extremely right. Um, the word that I was going to go for, which, again, I don't know if it's too harsh, embarrassing, was going to be the one that I chose. Just because the standard at this program is so high, expectations are always at an all-time high. At an all-time high, it's national championship bust. And and again, I, I I hate to say it, but I mean, it's just it just hasn't been good. And w- w- when you talk about the amount of talent that's on this team, again, I know that a lot of it's young talent, a lot of it's unproven. But when you've got all the four-star and five-star talent, again, stars are irrelevant if you can't if you can't play the game and if you're not gonna if you're not able to get coached up, not able to buy into what the program is. But 
I mean, it, it's just been embarrassing to watch the last two weeks. Oh, you should be three and zero right now. They had both of those games, you know, well in control, and they just let them slip away. So, again, uh, it, where they go from here, I don't know. But you've got your biggest rivalry. Um, you're set to face in six days. Your season's on the line. You're one and two. I mean, it's it's put up or shut up time. So, um, well, Adam, anything uh, anything else before we get out of here? Man, I'm just hoping we can get a win in the Cotton Bowl. Get this bad taste out of my mouth. And you and me both. I think uh, I think a win against Texas on Saturday doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't make the I don't know the pain or all the frustration go away, but it it definitely you know definitely doesn't hurt. So. But again, OU loses 37-30 to Iowa State to go 1-2 on the season, 0-2 in Big 12 play. They've got Texas at 11 a.m. on Saturday down in Dallas inside the Cotton Bowl. Um, so, again, Adam will be Adam and I will be back a little bit later this week, uh, kind of let this uh, Iowa State frustration die down a little bit. We'll be back to kind of give a little bit more in-depth preview, kind of what we see from Texas, uh, who, you know, they lost again. They lost yesterday to a, to a TCU team, and they had some problems doing it. So, uh, from again, from Tyler or for Tyler here, Adam, uh, appreciate you guys joining us and we will be back a little bit later this week, previewing the red river showdown. So Adam, we'll talk to you soon, buddy.